The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in its consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am Thomas Nagley. I'm here with Father William Jenkins. He's a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V. And he also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Just the same, Father. Good. Good to see yes, you. Yes. Great to be back again. Any prayer requests before we begin tonight, oh, Father? Oh, yes. Uh, very many <laughs> prayer requests, of course. And uh, well, please uh, pray for the repose of the soul of Dwayne Harris passed away, and continued health of uh, Tom Wright. Uh, but we also have uh, some dear souls who are ill, uh, facing surgery, actually some recovering from surgery. So uh, I, I'll just commend uh, all to, to the prayers. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Percher uh, have been ill lately, and also we've gotten prayer requests from uh, uh, the Wilts, uh, Rich and Terry, and a goodly number of other of the dear souls who are suffering with illness or other hardships. So please keep them all in your prayers. And mm -hmm. Of course, always pray for our country. Our country's uh, being attacked from inside and from outside, you know. And um, it, it's all a matter of our country, uh, of, of our nation converting to our Lord and uh, recognizing his sovereignty, humbling itself before him repenting of sin, and uh, that's what we need to pray for, the conversion of our country to, to God. Yeah, and we have uh, begun listing some of the uh, prayer requests, prayer intentions on our website, Father, so any of our Good. viewers can go there to wcbohio.com. Well, I, I appreciate that, Tom, it's something we wanted, so yeah. I'm glad to, glad to hear that. Yes, Father. Okay. We do uh, send out prayer requ requests through our, uh, actually, a, a email uh, chain, and uh, that's, I'm sure, where many of these intentions are going to appear from. Uh, but there's also the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer, prayer request list, too. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh, the names, uh, the requests are being posted now. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> Father, we wanted to have a uh, discussion today on the uh, topic of dancing and if the church has a, a, a any kind of particular official position on uh, on dancing dances um, several of our viewers have been having uh, a discussion about this topic apparently and uh, there um, is apparently an article <clears throat> floating around online uh, claiming that Bened Pope Benedict the fifteenth um, apparently um, had some kind of decree some kind of document uh, that banned any kind of dances whatsoever for the Catholic faithful. Um, prohibited any priests or religious from in any way participating or, or uh, even fostering 
these, these dances. Um, there are several other references given, several other official uh, church sources uh, claiming apparently that uh, any sort of dancing whatsoever <clears throat> for the Catholic faithful is prohibited. Um, but, but Father, how, how would you, um, I know you've had a chance to read through some of these decrees, some of these articles. Is it true, does the church have any kind of official position on dances? Dancing for the uh, yes, there have been decrees from the Holy See concerning this matter of dancing. And, and we're not talking just about the act of dancing. <clears throat> we're talking about dances as such, you know. In Latin, we do Korea or Korea. And um, I mean, like ballroom uh, dance-type situ situations here. So when we refer to dan dances, you can talk to an, about an individual actually doing a dance or you can talk about dances as an affair you know, that draws, draws people together in an organized dance for a, like a big party. Um, and the church does have um, certainly a position with regard to the ball, ballroom type dancing or the, the, uh, the public, uh, of, um, you know, affair of a dance, so to speak. And um, actually, Tom, I, I've, this came up rather suddenly to me. I had just finished Mass at Our Lady of Peace Chapel in Boynton Beach, Florida. <clears throat> and um, I receive a, a, received a, a message from you. And you passed on to me uh, some information that you'd received. I guess somebody uh, sent you some information and you uh, related to me as an, and as an attachment to a text message. <clears throat> so I left the sacristy with that in hand and went to a meeting that was set up for me. Uh, and lo and behold, the meeting was precisely about that. So you, <laughs> you gave me a little bit of a, a forewarning about what was coming. <clears throat> and there was a young gentleman there who <clears throat> wanted to inform me that uh, there was a, suddenly a great controversy going on. And actually, the young gentleman, in a sense, implicated himself uh, supposedly, if I recall correctly, he was uh, somehow communicating online with a young fellow in, uh, in New York, and this fellow with whom I had the meeting mentioned that the church had condemned waltzes, right? Waltz, waltzing. And uh, the young fellow was shocked to hear that and went off and began researching on his own and came up with all kinds of information about the church's condemnation of dancing in general. You know? So suddenly, you know, from being shocked to hear that the church had uh, spoken out against waltzing, uh, suddenly this person now had this plethora of information that he dug up as though now he becomes kind of an authority on the subject. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's amazing how quickly people can acquire PhDs. And um, that it was, he began pouring this out uh, and uh, I guess uh, chat rooms or whatever they call them, I don't know, um, for other young traditional Catholics, you know, whom we'd gotten to know through the young Catholic gatherings around the country. So suddenly, you know, hundred, I guess hundreds of people, I don't know, were receiving this so information uh, pouring into their um, internet uh, access, excuse me if I don't know the correct <laughs> terminology, okay. but you understand what I mean. Yes. And, and so 
evidently this basically grew from being uh, sort of uh, someone striking the match to it being like a conflagration and a big controversy among uh, young traditional Catholics and conservative New Order Catholics probably too, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> so, um, actually I had the opportunity just over the last, well, it's, what is it, Tuesday now, so just, even though I spent half of the time between Sunday night and this moment kind of traveling, uh, I managed to, to get some information together and others have helped a bit too, to show me what's going around and what's getting people all worked up about it. Unfortunately, the, t the tendency is to read a page of information that came from wherever they get it, and suddenly young people think that they are like the authority on the subject, you know? and they begin criticizing, criticizing each other, criticizing the priests, you know, saying, well, this was wrong to do, as though they really know, as though they really know, and they really uh, investigated and studied the subject. And it's, it's kind of disappointing to see how readily, uh, you know, they, the people who are totally ignorant on a subject, just a matter of uh, hours before, you know, can read uh, somebody's monograph, even unsigned, without even a name attached to it, but somebody wrote this thing and they've counted it on the internet or somebody sent it to them. And suddenly they they suddenly sit in judgment of, of mankind, the world, their parish, their priests, and everybody. And um, I don't know, it's, uh, I guess it's, well, it's original sin, certainly, ultimately. But I'm grateful to those who actually did send information uh, that is helpful. <clears throat> and uh, I did find online the uh, statement of March 31st, uh, the year 1916, by the Sacred Congregation of the Consistory. I guess this is uh, one of the focuses of all of this discussion online. But in 1916, the Vatican, under the actually the Sacred Congregation of the Consistory, under Pope Benedict XV, sent out a statement on the question of dances, actually under the auspices of, of Catholic churches being provided or presented here in America. And uh, some very kind, so it's very understandable in Latin, <clears throat> rendering it into English, a little rough, but I have we uh, access, and uh, you know, we have a dear friend who's very, an excellent Latinist, who actually took it in, in very brief time, uh, put it into very good English, so I can read it for you today. I can read you the text of this decree of March 31st, 1916, issued by the Sacred Congregation of the Consistory from the Vatican, precisely about this question of these dances, which were then being presented here under the auspices of the Church, Catholic Church, uh, for the Catholic people. Here's what it said. In the past century, the custom arose in the United States of bringing together Catholic families to balls. That's how they translate it, but it's actually like uh, dances, okay? We would just call them dances today. Which usually lasted for many hours of the night with banquets and other enjoyments. The rationale and reason for which was given that Catholics might thereby get to know each other and be more intimately united in the bonds of love and charity, and at the same time 
that the necessary funds might be raised for this or that pious work. And so it mentions there were social events for Catholics to get to know each other, but also fundraising events, he said. And those who usually organized and presided over these gatherings were generally the organizers of some pious work, and not infrequently, the rectors or parish priests of the churches themselves. But the local ordinaries, those are the bishops of the dioceses, although not doubting the good intention of those who promoted such balls, such dances, nevertheless, perceiving the harm and danger of the growing practice, judged it their duty to forbid them. And therefore, in Canon 290 of the Third Plenary Council of Baltimore, they decreed the following, quote, We command also that priests take care that the practice whereby banquets are prepared together with balls, dances, in order to promote the good works, be totally abolished. However, this is the end of the quote then. However, as often happens in human affairs, that which had been most justly and wisely commanded gradually began to fall into oblivion, and, wise, and the custom of throwing balls or dances again began to grow, indeed, even to spread itself into the neighboring region of the Dominion of Canada. Recognizing these things, their eminences, the fathers of the sacred congregation of the consistory, having heard from many local ordinaries, bishops, and having subjected the matter to an examination with great diligence, have judged that the sanctions decreed by the Third Council of Baltimore hold good in every way. And they have decreed with the approbation of our most holy Lord, Pope Benedict XV, that all priests, whosoever, secular or regular, and other clerics are totally forbidden to promote or foster the aforementioned balls or dances, even if for the purpose of aiding or relieving pious works, or for any other pious intention. And moreover, that all clerics are forbidden to be present at these balls, if perchance they are promoted by laymen. The Supreme Pontiff has commanded that this decree be promulgated and be kept religiously by all, all things to the contrary notwithstanding. Given at Rome from the headquarters of the Sacred Congregation of the Consistory, 31st of March, 1916. Now, there are things that, uh, you know, we point out about this decree, which are of interest, I think. This uh, says that priests and clergymen are not to promote these things, and um, they are not to attend them. And it says, and if they are promoted by laymen, that, again, the, the clerics are not to take part in them, right? Interestingly enough, though, it does not... Uh, level any censure, you know, and forbids them. I guess the censures would have to be inflicted by the local ordinaries in this case. But uh, it does allow for the fact that laymen would be promoting them. It doesn't actually reprove the laymen for promoting them. Um, 
So, curiously enough, um, the, the, the question uh, that arises here, of course, is uh, why this would be so. And uh, the, the, they talk about the harm and the danger of this growing practice. They talk about these dances, which usually last for many hours of the night, even late into the night, with banquets and other enjoyments. They're talking about something that they consider to be an occasion of sin. And uh, because they, they consider these things to be an occasion of sin, they're saying this must not be, uh, must not be tolerated, right? Must be stopped. Um, so the question that arises, what were they doing? What was actually taking place at these things? Now look, we look at the modern dances today, and what passes for a dance for young people today, ordinarily, I'm talking about in the world, not in the ranks of the, of the traditional Catholics. We, we look at what passes for a dance in the secular world today. We think of high school proms and things like that, and we would recognize immediately these things are evil. Mm. <laughs> they, are, they are designed to be occasions of sin, and even proximate occasions of mortal sin. So we can readily see that these secular dances <clears throat> were definitely occasions of sin, and readily see why they would be forbidden. We would say the same thing to our own people. We can't do that, and we're not going to do it. And uh, that if you are doing it, you're engaging in something that is very immortal, immoral. Um, so we can readily see that. It just makes you wonder what was going on at these events. That they would see that uh, young people who attended these things were putting themselves in mortal spiritual danger. I don't know what was going on at these events. It doesn't, it doesn't really truly make me wonder. And uh, we also have here the uh, decree of the Third Council of Baltimore, Canon 290 of that Third Council of Baltimore, uh, and have that in translation also from our dear Latinist. And this is what this decree, which was referenced by the Vatican, the Sacred Council of the Consistory, referenced. It says this, in very many locations, it is customary for no small amounts of funds to be raised for pious purposes through certain gatherings which are given for the sake of amusement and which are called commonly called picnics or excursions or are called by some similar name. But since this type of gathering, especially near wealthy and populous cities, often turn out to be the seeds of sin and scandal, it is doubted by pious and prudent men whether they should be tolerated any longer or totally prohibited. Now, we're talking about um, certain things turning out to be often the seeds of sin and scandal. We're talking about picnics and excursions. And it's enough to make you stop and wonder, what was going on during these picnics? What was going on during these excursions that the bishops at the Third Plenary Council of Baltimore would consider these things often presenting occasions of sin and scandal. I, I, don't, I can't imagine what was going on there. Um, 
certainly not by Catholic people who gathered for a picnic. Yeah. I wonder what, what exactly form did this really take? I mean, I, I see the, the words here, picnics or excursions, but I can't, I mean, no picnic that I have ever witnessed seemed in any way to prevent the seeds of sin and scandal that, that I know of. Yeah. So I gather they must be talking about something very, very particular, uh, which is not your standard ordinary picnic as we know it. I'm just puzzled by this. Uh, and it, it made me think immediately, what was going on there? Uh, but the decree continues. The provident mind of the same fathers, that's the fathers of the council, having seriously considered all things, decreed that they cannot be permitted unless every caution be taken. Therefore, that their wise counsel might better attain its desired end, and that the way be more easily shut to the evils and scandals which are to be feared, we decree that it is not permitted for such gatherings ever to be held at night, nor on Sundays, feast days, or days of fast, nor with inebriating liquors, wine and beer. Moreover, insofar as is possible, the permission of the bishop must be sought in each case. Now, again, you know, this raises some questions here as far as uh, how and what we are to understand of it. Because, again, I mean, it indicates that um, there must be wise counsel applied here uh, to easily, more easily shut out the evils and scandals which are to be feared, as though the scandals and the evils could be uh, offset or overcome by wise counsels. Um, so it, it's a matter, it, as though it's not, these things are not intrinsically evil or intrinsically scandalous, but if they were, let's say, regulated by some wise counsels that you could overcome the fears and the dangers involved in these things. That's the implication. And then, and then the fathers go on and say that such gatherings should not be held at night, nor on Sundays, feast days, or days of fast. So, as though, as on those days, is the danger greater or what? I mean, why not on other days? Why are those days singled out? You know? uh, it's a matter of trying to understand exactly you know, what, what, what the, the significance of it was and how they want to apply it. Now, he does say they should not be held with inebriating liquors, wine, and beer. Okay. You can understand that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we have had uh, in the past something here, but generally, you know, we don't approve of the, you know, of any alcoholic beverages being served there. Um, but, um, but that continues here. Likewise, with what are commonly called fairs, we decree that they may not be held on Sundays, nor without the permission of the bishop, nor with the use of inebriating liquors, wine and beers. Um, so we can understand that. Um, but again, the, the necessary Permission would be have to have to be obtained from the bishop of the diocese, the ordinary. Uh, 
to have these affairs in a parish level. We command also that priests take care that the practice whereby banquets and are prepared together with the dances or balls in order to promote good works be totally abolished. But again, you know, this raises a question. If the dances themselves were t totally abolished, then why would they say that priests must take care not to arrange banquets together with the dances when the dances were abolished? And here it says banquets arranged in conjunction with the dances must be abolished. Um, so um, I think there's more to understanding this decree than just saying, well, the church has condemned picnics, <laughs> excursions, and fairs, you know, yeah. as being, uh, even say, proximate occasions of mortal sins. Um, I, I think one, one would have to actually see exactly what was condemned and exactly why. Mm -hmm. uh, did the church condemn picnics? I, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, as we know picnics to be. Yeah. They saw certain dangers regarding these, though. And I think that's something that should be kept in mind. Something, something was a danger, something was clearly wrong, and yeah. something needed to be uh, regulated or even forbidden. That's mm -hmm. clear. Yeah. And knowing exactly what that was, well, that's important. Could, could those decrees, Father, possibly, I mean, it seems just in the language that they often refer to some sort of uh, church fundraising event. Uh, they talk a lot about, about raising funds. Um, could could these be pertaining to dances and fairs and other things that are held under the auspice of the Catholic Church? Well, that's, uh, that that is that is clear. Ra rather rather than just than just a, a a private. I mean, there's there's nothing in there that uh, that says you know that any private <laughs> dances Tom, by the lay people. But, but Tom, that's the puzzling thing to me, uh, <clears throat> because. It says that there are attendant to these things dangers and scandals, mm -hmm. moral dangers and scandals. And if there are moral dangers and scandals associated with these dances, public dances, banquets associated with them and so on, then that of its very nature would mean it's wrong for anyone to do. Not just for the church to sponsor them, not just for priests to hold them as fundraisers, or not even just for the laity of the Catholic Church to sponsor them and promote them. If there are, if these things are intrinsically evil, <laughs> you know, if dancing itself is intrinsically evil, then <clears throat> it would have to be forbidden always and everywhere to everyone. Um, it's not saying that dancing in itself is intrinsically evil any more than eating is at a banquet, right? Mm. Um, or at a picnic. But they're indicating that the way these things are, are held, that they automatically, they do involve certain dangers um, that are impossible or difficult to overcome, eradicate. And so they're saying that this must not be done. No. I, I acknowledge, uh, based on you know, what, what you just said, relative to what you just said, that the decree of the Sacred Congregation of the Consistory, uh, the decree of 1916, does say if these dances are promoted by laymen, 
then the clergy should not be present and they should not be promoting them. But it doesn't say the laymen themselves are to be censured. It doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. uh, which puzzles me a bit because it does say that there are moral dangers involved in these things. And, uh, I mean, it, it does say that they go many hours, indicating they kind of go late into the night. They have feasting and enjoyments and so on, which, you know, somehow involve uh, dangers to, to morals. Mm -hmm. Well, So, uh, I mean, I could see if people are, the young people are out late at night, yeah. and uh, there, there is a certain moral danger in that. Um, you know, uh, without no chaperones or anything like that. Yes, it's putting them in harm's way, cl clearly. Um, the question is, is are, are dances themselves uh, forbidden? And in fact, you know, the information that received is shortly after uh, this decree of the Sacred Congregation of the Consistory, uh, there were clergy who approached uh, the Vatican and said, well, what if we had these dances during the day and, you know, they were closely regulated and so on? And the answer came back, no, those are forbidden also. So it sounds as though even if you take efforts to, you know, confine them to the daylight hours and restrict um, the activities, that that's still not good and it's still not permitted, as though they somehow still represent a danger. Um, the thing that seems to come through over and over again, though, is the, the idea of the modern dance. The modern dances that involve physical contact between boys and girls, men and women, who are not married to each other. Because there were folk dances that, you know, go back centuries and centuries from different cultures uh, that involve colorful costumes and often have historical... Uh, roots uh, commemorating historical events or whatever, but the, and um, they do not involve the interaction of men and women, certainly not the physical contact of men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems to be where the problem comes. The introducing to dancing of the men and women dancing with each other and actually touching each other. That, that's what I gather from this. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Tom. You're no. You're, just, you're talking about the the dangers um, associated with. It. I think anyone could uh, could readily admit that. But uh, w would there ever be a case where uh, you know we would say these things are not intrinsically evil, but uh, there is a certain danger associated with them? I mean, we would say that that dating uh, a a man and woman dating is certainly it can be an occasion of sin. It can be a dangerous thing, but mm -hmm. it's that's kind of offset by a proportionate good. Um, could we say the same thing, perhaps, for dancing, that this may be an occasion of sin, but it, uh, the, there's a proportionate good it can be Well, and that's what a number of the clergy were saying, you know. They, they start out at this decree in 1916 by saying the rationale for it was that the Catholic people would get to know each other, could socialize with each other. Yeah. And um, uh, unfortunately, the, the dancing went from being more like a uh, folk dancing and a cultural thing to being kind of romantic dancing. Yeah. You know, boy and girl paired off, and uh, they're actually in physical contact with each other. That seems to be the thing that comes up repeatedly from the 1700s on or, or so, you know. Um, <clears throat> but um, 
You know, uh, there was a, a third document that I think is, is worth reading here, and that, that hits rather close to home. This was a letter to the editor, uh, of, uh, written to the Catholic Telegraph by the Bishop of Covington, Kentucky, January 28th, 1916. In other words, uh, 1918, I beg your pardon, January 28th, 1918. So the decree that came out March 31st, 1916 from the Vatican was eventually reported in the Catholic press and commented upon. And here now, in the very first month of January 1918, <clears throat> the Bishop of Covington sends a letter to the editor of the Catholic Telegraph. I, I, I can only understand this refers to the Cincinnati Diocese. Uh, owned Catholic newspaper, the oldest Catholic newspaper in the country, really, as I understand. And um, <clears throat> this is what that Bishop Brossard's uh, letter says. He, he's actually taking issue with the way it was reported, the way the 1916 decree was reported in the Catholic Telegraph, and basically says the Catholic Telegraph misrepresented the decree of the Vatican, and explains why here. Here's what he says. But I, I also think that this is, helps us to understand the, the sense and the meaning of the prohibition, as he gives a little commentary on it. He says, in the budget of news from the Eternal City, Rome, that you publish in last week's issue of the Telegraph, there are several inaccuracies that are extremely misleading, and if not corrected in time, may do harm. In the first place, your headline, Modern Dances of a Certain Kind are Prohibited. Okay, so that's the headline that was reporting about this 1916 decree. Modern Dances of a Certain Kind are Prohibited. Now, I just read for you the text of the decree. You can see, does that headline actually reflect <laughs> the sense of that decree. He's saying no. This is what he says. This would imply that certain other dances are permitted under certain conditions for religious or pious purposes, of which there is question in the decrees of the Sacred Consistorial Congregation and the Canon of the Baltimore Council, to which they refer. The Sacred Congregation... I'm sorry, this... Sacred Consistorial Congregation and the Canon of the Baltimore Council. Uh, let's see, what does it say? The Sacred Consistorial Congregation in its decree of March 31st, 1916 makes no distinction whatever of dances, nor does it its recent decision of the same decree to which your Rome cablegram refers. They both forbid all dances whatsoever, given or fostered by church authorities, even for religious or pious purposes. Where the law does not distinguish, we have no right to make distinctions. The law forbids all chorea, dances or balls, given under church authority, even though they be given for religious or pious purposes. The object of this legislation is to correct abuses that have crept into our mode of doing business 
and raising funds for pious purposes. The church should never be permitted to become a dancing school. Dancing at all times is more or less dangerous to individuals, and the church does not wish to foster these dangers any more than she wishes or permits the church to become a promoter of saloons or the dangers attached thereto. It's interesting the connections they make between like dances and saloons and other places of ill repute, you know. Uh, or the dangers attached thereto by selling intoxicating drinks at picnics or church entertainments. She fully recognizes the danger of abuse lurking in these recreational and business affairs. And therefore, through the Council of Baltimore, she admonishes all Catholics engaged in this business to abandon it for something less dangerous. That statement of Bishop Rossard is very interesting because the way he portrays it is the church recognized the dangers of abuse. So he actually speaks of these dangers of scandal and dangers to morals as rather abuses than necessarily intrinsically involved with, <clears throat> with these pastimes. But because of the dangers that attend them, she, he says the church admonishes Catholics engaged in this business to and do something else <laughs> that does not carry these dangers. She does not forbid dancing to the individual Catholic, to whom it is not a proximate danger of sin, any more than she does drinking temperately. But she does forbid the authorities of the church bishops and priests to tolerate or to promote or foster in any way these engagements, which are full of danger, even for any pious or charitable purpose whatsoever, or to countenance them by their presence. Some thought, even after the decision of the Sacred Consistorial Congregation of March 31st, 1916, that some dances under certain conditions might take place for such purposes, such as having them in the daytime at picnics, or in the early hour of the evenings, etc., under proper protection, but the answer of the Holy Consistorial Congregation confirmed and ordered to be published by the Holy Father is that even under these conditions they are forbidden. And this decision is pro norma omnium, ad quo spectat, that all concerned. Bishops and priests must strictly comply with this rule. Therefore, all dances, even those given for pious or charitable purposes, under church authority, are to be abolished and no wise encouraged or promoted in any way. The church needs no such auxiliaries. To her faithful and loyal children, the grand and wonderful admonition and promise of her divine founder is sufficient. Give, and it shall be given unto you. In that case, what he's saying is the church doesn't need these things as fundraisers to survive, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, they should be given up, uh, as, particularly from their fundraising point of view. <coughs> All should be taught to give for the cause of Christ, for his religion, and for charity, for God's sake, and not for the sake of a drink or of a dance. 
both of which are too often attended with frightful and far-reaching abuses. And this kind of gives you the sense of there were things going on there that they were responding to, okay? Uh, I mean, I, we've had square dances here at the school, okay? And uh, I've always considered them to be a more cultural and uh, kind of, what would you call it, um, uh, kind of folk dances, you know, square dances. Um, and I don't think we've had these frightful and far-reaching abuses that Bishop Rosard is speaking of here. But evidently there were things going on back there that the bishops were definitely responding to. And it really makes you wonder, what exactly was going on at these, at these things? Um, so uh, not only this, but also the Third Council of Baltimore talking about these grave abuses that were going on back then. I don't think they're associated with anything that we've done here at the church. But nonetheless, I mean, we have to take the decree seriously. But let me get, just finish this up here. Um, given it shall be given unto you. All should be taught to give for the cause of Christ, for his religion, for charity, for God's sake, and not for the sake of a drink or of a dance, both of which are too often attended with frightful and far-reaching abuses, and deprive the gift of all supernatural merit. The outside world gives, unfortunately, too many occasions to gratify tastes of this kind, against which every sincere and earnest Catholic must guard himself or herself, lest they be entangled in the meshes of sin. Yours in Christ, Ferdinand Brossart, Bishop of Covington, Kentucky, Kentucky uh, January 20th, 28th, 1918. So, again, I don't know that anybody, you know, would consider like, the square dances that we've seen here and fostered here to be enmeshing people in, in sin. Um, nonetheless, I mean, if the mind of the church is that these things are not worthy to be promoted by and sponsored by the church, then that's what has to be followed, really. Um, even if the terrible uh, abuses and horrible scandals are not there, not attendant upon, let's say, a parish square dance, um, this, this would have to be taken very seriously. I had not actually read this 1916 decree before, um, so I'm actually grateful to those who went researching it. It helps, you know. Um, now, one, one actually would have to also, for the sake of completeness, acknowledge that the decree was very widely disregarded. Uh, I think my own parents met first at a CYO dance, a Catholic youth organization dance. They met there, and of course, here I am, you know, <laughs> uh, and I'm grateful to God that they met yeah. and that they married and uh, brought me uh, into the world, even as such as it is. <laughs> I'm very grateful to that. And I can't help but think that there were many good marriages that, that came from these things. Um, and that puzzles me a bit. But, um, you know, again, you have this decree, you have the Third Council of Baltimore warning about the dangers attendant upon these events. 
And yet, you know, if you look back at the history of the church in this country, you find these things actually carried on and were quite institutional. And uh, they, they were not, as I know, as far as I know, actually uh, sources of great scandal and horrible moral failures, you know. Um, and the bishops of this country, and many of them, we know of them, and they were solid Catholic bishops, uh, did countenance these things. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm actually puzzled. I'm very puzzled about um, the contrast between the decree and the actual history. If you go back and look at what the, the saints in the past have said, they essentially, well, um, St. John Vianney was very rigorous about this, right? No dancing, period, right? They're, it's all of the devil, right, <laughs> basically. And um, no doubt, in, during his time in France, in revolutionary France, it was of the devil, right? Very little faith, few filters, and uh, a lot of debauchery. So I can understand why, if that's what a dance was back then, that that would be absolutely off the table, right? Uh, there were other saints who wrote about uh, dancers and dancing. And uh, I guess dances, although I don't know if they're referring to dances as we know them in our own day. But they talk about the dangers of them too. But they talk about the dangers of them in the sense that uh, these dangers were attendant upon them, were not intrinsically a matter of you dance and you're going to hell. You know, uh, that dancing is itself intrinsically evil. But the circumstances were such that they were open to a lot of abuse and could give rise to a lot of scandal. And in fact, often they did. But as you say, I mean, as you see, going back and reading what the, some of the saints said, uh, they, they indicated that you no know, dancing is not intrinsically evil. Uh, it's the way it's done and the circumstances that these balls or these dances take place. Uh, which again, you know, the church has always says if you can, if you can take a situation which does have attendance dangers, uh, danger of scandal, uh, proximate danger of sin, and you can make that danger remote and remove that aspect of the event that rep represents danger or that, that uh, actually is responsible for the, the danger to souls, if you can take that away and leave just the n neutral event, which is neither good nor bad in itself, you can do that. The church has always said you have to. You know, if, if there is some occasion of sin, uh, especially an occasion of mortal sin, especially a proximate occasion of mortal sin, then whatever it is, you can't do it unless you make that proximate occasion remote. And there are ways to do that. The question that arose, are there ways to purge the dances of these moral dangers that the bishops spoke about? And um, when the Holy See was approached, um, and again, some of the bishops like Bishop Rosart they were saying that they, they, they didn't even address that question. Is there a way to um, take away the dangers 
their answer was, the church must not sponsor these things in any case. And, um, and the clergy should not be involved. Right? So um, that, that seems to be the default mode, <laughs> coming back to that. So, you know, it's something we need to review and take very seriously here, mm -hmm. which I certainly intend to do. Uh, even today, I mean, you'll find uh, traditional clergy uh, divided on the, on the very issue. Some are more uh, rigorous and some are more lax and saying, well, we can obviate the dangers that they're concerned about here. Uh, can they? I think largely they can, because I've seen that. Uh, in the square dances presented in various places. Um, nevertheless, even in the square dancing, uh, there is physical contact between the young men and the young woman. Um, you know, nowadays they might say, well, that's very minimal, that's very innocent. Uh, I can see that back in the 1700s, what might now be considered uh, you know, dosi -si doing or something like that at a square dance involving a, a very minimal contact and be very prudish that somebody should find that some kind of indication of sin. But in the 1700s, I would say that would probably be extremely forward and brash and unusual and definitely frowned upon and a departure from the social norms. Mm -hmm. um, but it's precisely these, these dangers that the church wants to guard guard young people from you know and i i do agree that uh, we've gotten very lax yeah in our culture there's no doubt about it I mean, we're beyond lax let's face it right mm -hmm. um so i think we if we're going to to review these things and try to follow the mind of the church in these things we cannot use the modern standard in any way to form our judgment Right. So even though there are those who say, "Oh well, these in these days and age, that this is this is very innocent in these in this day and age," I say, "Well, you mean relative to our our person, our culture here today, this is very innocent." I'm saying we can't we cannot do that and use our own day and age as any form of standard. The standard has to be that of the church itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, I intend to take a very good look at this. In the meantime, I would just tell those who are engaged in uh, a battle of words about it uh, to pray over it, okay? And, uh, but not to, uh, you know, exalt themselves to the status of the sacred uh, congregation of the consistory. And so they are here, hereby deputed because they read uh, excerpts from the document in translation that suddenly they have become the Inquisition, okay, to enforce the sacred congregation of the consistories decree of 1916. They are not the Inquisition. They have not been deputed for this. Uh, they're just trying to find their way through this too. Mm -hmm. So we would like them to be of help and generate more light than heat. Yeah. But I gather there's already been a lot of heat generated about it. <laughs> Just like them to, to to take a step back from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Father, we didn't exactly intend to spend the whole program on this, but uh, perhaps it's, it's, it's worthwhile. But um, did you have any anything else that you wanted to mention tonight before we close? Well, uh, you know, I, I think the the overall message here that we've read here, 
the uh, the decree of the sacred congregation, the uh, the decree of the plenary council of Baltimore, the letter to the editor even of uh, Bishop Brossard from uh, Kentucky, is the necessity of being on our guard against the standards of the world and uh, maintaining a, a real Catholic concept of purity of life and the, the tremendous respect and reserve that was way of Catholic life back in the previous centuries. And in the mind of the church, what, what the church always presented as the proper relationship between the young man and the young woman, um, as they grew up in their courtship with each other, their approach to marriage, and the church always uh, urged a great deal of reserve. And nowadays, it's like there's a reckless abandon, a headlong reckless abandon into even mortal sin. Um, as though the young man says to the young woman, yes, I find you very attractive, I, I, I really appreciate your goodness, but I'm going to trash your virtues, and I'm going to... I'm going to uh, heedlessly, recklessly uh, risk your soul and um, bring you into mortal sin by um, introducing all these temptations. And a young woman, the same thing to the, the young man. She, she's thinking even of marrying because she thinks he'll be a good husband, he'll be a good father. He's a traditional Catholic. He has the faith and all that. But to disregard the dangers to the soul of that young man and say, well, I, I, I'm, I, I would not uh, push him in front of a speeding train because that would damage him physically, um, but I will push his soul in front of the speeding train of, of, a, of temptation, of impurity. I will do that to him. I will myself be that temptation to him to murder his soul. It just doesn't seem to occur to the young man and young woman today that if they really loved each other, they could never do that to each other. Um, they, they just could never assassinate each other physically, but that they could never assassinate each other spiritually either. And that when they, if they do, in fact, get married and they make their marriage vows, that they're, they're taking upon themselves the responsibility for each other body and soul but they have to show before they're married that they can be trusted they can be trusted with that power over the body and the soul of another person if they can't even take care of themselves spiritually how are they going to love someone else enough to care for their soul and take good care of their souls especially if in the run-up to their marriage They've basically been occasions of sin for the other person and basically just assassins, uh, drawing them into mortal sin and, and, and providing themselves as occasions for mortal sin. Um, this is the tragedy of our own time, uh, that love has been lost and been separated unfortunately substituted by lust and uh, often our young people have a very hard time distinguishing between the two things. So.
This is something the church has always, always, always insisted on. To teach the young people the difference between true love and, and, and mere lust. I fear that it has been largely lost in our young people, and we have to, uh, again, be truly traditional Catholic, and we have to rediscover that and inculcate that message in our young people so they, they can be safeguarded against all these dangers. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'll end with that. Just pray, pray to God for our country, pray for, for our uh, people, and uh, again, it's a matter of conversion, and a lot of that conversion, so much of it has to do with matters of purity, as Our Lady said in Fatima. Actually, she told Jacinta this when Jacinta was in the hospital in Lisbon, Portugal, uh, that more souls go to hell because of sins of the flesh than for any other reason. Perhaps more for that than for all other reasons combined, for all we know. But uh, that's a warning, a warning we have to heed. Well, thank you, Father. God bless you. Well, thank you, Tom. Yep. You also. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you. God bless you.